Fragmentation by Jonathan Harnish I don't think writing is therapeutic. It's real hard for me. It's not an enjoyable process. Jonathan Harnish Jonathan Harnish's postmodern literature relies on narrative techniques such as fragmentation, paradox, and the unreliable narrator. In fragmentation, Harnish has outdone himself, for good or ill, with the strangest, saddest, most confusing, and unedited, schizophrenic, psychosexual stream of thought narrative imaginable, a work suffused with almost evangelical zeal in the service of disillusion, author, Jonathan Harnish has written the best-selling and award-winning novels, Lover in the Nobody, Living Colorful Beauty and When We Were Invincible, he is also a noted controversial mental health advocate, and fine artist, blogger, podcast host, patent holder, hedge fund manager, musician, and film and TV writer and producer, outside, he can hear his heart thumping like the cylinders of a garbage truck, his perplexity is in a bathrobe outside, walking to her mailbox, she's the snake, the slow-moving serpent with the tongue of fire and the ass of a bombshell, I feel the combustion of that planet in Georgie's head as it replays in mine, she is the habit that won't go away, this is the bucket of slime, the waste of time that Georgie lets manipulate him until the point of no return, he needs to find his way back to the mental state he was in before this all went too far. Georgie met her on Halloween last year. Last year was 2004. It's the 4th. Why not offer some exposition of November? A year later now, and the angst is still there. Barely, but much less than before. Some things we don't fully get rid of within the time constraints of a defined plan to get over things. It's now the time to move on and, actually, Georgie is well on his way to putting the wasted previous year to a rest. He remembers dancing in the parking lot and watching her rip his heart out while she was high as a kite. She took pleasure in controlling his gut and cock, but now his cock is tired, and he's been meeting some new, promising, adventurous women, women who are more worth the while. We could start looking at Georgie's life since the 29th of October, this year, that's a little less than a week ago. He had left Los Angeles County and flown up to his buddy's place in Silicon Valley. He was feeling good. He remained up there through Halloween so as to avoid any coincidental rendezvous with the girl next door. She was a philosophical and herself, a dandy little disturbance in Georgie's life, a non-fictional wonder prize Georgie brought home from the World Freak Show. He took her too seriously. He still thinks of her imperfections, which he came to love. Now he's got another date lined up for Thanksgiving. She'll probably stand him up. Why not get over her now to avoid any prolonged rebounding? This new woman seems like she might be the real thing. But, then again, doesn't everyone? My father said I, Ben, the author, could write the entire past year as a sitcom. I never thought I'd sell any of my scribbles. Nonetheless, if I did write it all down, Georgie and I might get along a little better and make some sense of things as we trudge through our recap with the same nightmare. She made my life miserable. She sparked the creation of Georgie as an idea just to quell some of the heartaches. How does simplicity become so complicated? Why is complexity so attractive? Why bother speaking in generalities when the main point is right before our eyes? Start explaining. Why not offer some exposition? Set up a scene. Tell it as it is and move on. Georgie, sometimes you frustrate the living shite out of me. You belong in a trash compact air. Overreacting? Georgie, fuck you. Goddamn it. Here comes a little caprolalia. I begin to swear and echo my manic thoughts out loud. My mood will shift again later, I'm a mess. Besides, I just lit this pathetic little cigarette on the wrong end. Am I drunk now, or what? Please enjoy a five minute break, have a cup of coffee, loosen up and take a breath, realize all that you're not, and come to some conclusion of what you might become. 
You used to have some life. Read your lips. Okay. Some people have happy relationships. Some have altered egos with whom they can relate. I'm not sure if I'll ever have either, so I'll make the best of what I've got going on with Georgie. Sounds stupid. Sometimes we circle jerk together. We play cookie. What's cookie? What's mentally challenged? What's the matter with our minds today? Listen, let me tell you something. But the thought just escaped me. Now, my mind is on fire, popping off electric thunder in a series of spurts. Georgie tells me not to worry. I start to strangle him with excrement and chaos. But Georgie likes these things. He's a fucked up fellow, I'll say. We're agitated as all hell. I smoke as many cigarettes as I can so that Georgie might die a cruel death. For now, I'll move on. But what am I to do without you? I'm not far away. I don't know what to say without you. When we were together, it didn't matter whether we said goodbye. I called you on the phone, and nobody was there. But I was all alone. How you just left. My heart was bleeding for you. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. You left without a word. So, when you come on back, maybe I should bleed and be freed without you. When I see your picture, maybe I will give it a rest. You didn't even hurt me. Maybe I should cut you back. You didn't even hurt me. It didn't hurt me until you left. I'm not making any attempt to show off or tell some magnificent story. I'm just some lonely guy, a hopeless romantic who's had his heart broken a couple of times and who strives to experience the truth in love. I guess I could choose to be somewhat poetic about all the pathetic crap in my life and try to impress the critics and fail to impress any audience, family members, etc. and prepare to have something good come out of this. But fuck, if I can't write anything entertaining, then I guess that means I suck even more than I thought. I already have a pretty good idea of how little I'm worth, how little others might care about anything I do or say, but I'm better than that. My mind races, and I'm often redundant. I was never trained properly to act, react, socialize, or behave. I guess I'm stuck. Glory untold. She came out of the blue, the silly girl in my class where things aren't sure but rather probable as usual. What is your status now, Ben? Crack. Speed. Alcohol. And now what? When are you going to get straight? I cannot trust you anymore. How can you take a good life and screw it up so much? Get your life together before it's too late. It's crisis time. I beg you to rid yourself of your addictions and obsessions forever and resume our relationship. You keep choosing addiction, parents just don't understand, pops. I'm sorry, please forgive me, I love you. Thank you, glory untold, resonating class. It wasn't addiction necessarily, please pick up the dictionary. Sleep depth synonymous with sleep deprivation, a crazy roller coaster on which one rides, feeling both half awake and half asleep. Irritable, socially inept and hyperactive due to lack of sleep. Sleep dep causes one to crack, fold, and often just topple over with a romantic sense of reality. A common side effect is becoming sexually aroused and speaking aloud all thoughts, often using wordplay, feeling like you have nothing to lose except more sleep. Getting a second wind is common as are alterations in the perception or experience of the external world and self, where everything seems unreal. I am so crazy sleep dept, you're Man, I'm rocking the sleep dep, the screen is black. Georgie stands up and says, Doctor, see, can we go for a walk? There are some things I want to tell you, some things I need to go over. Composite sketching maybe it starts with the first impression that he likes to make before he gets to know someone. Georgie's outer personality and image, the part of his outer personality that expresses itself, are analytical. He is a perfectionist with a great talent for organizing things, furniture, and feet. He inherently knows the value of good work and service, such as charitable work, 
He buys bums cheeseburgers on weekends. He's quite a character, at least, that's the first impression other people get, even within all the confines of the group. He stands out as unique and special in some way. When all is said and done, Georgie's will is the last word. He has an unpredictable streak in him. Other people find him exciting because they never know for sure what he will say, do, or create next. He can be whomever and whatever, even wherever, he can imagine himself to be, not me, not Ben, he tends only to imagine the best, but Georgie has missed the mark more than once, he has some inner doubts about himself that make it difficult for others to pick up a strong impression of who he is, to this day, he cultivates a firmer and firmer picture of who he wants to be but until then, until he finds that, people are likely to find it hard to figure out the real him, however, this comes in handy when he needs to blend into the background. It would have come in extra handy if he was an actor or a spy, but he is not. His sensitive side can be like a sponge that soaks up all the woes of the world of troubled souls, those, like Claudia Nesbitt, who attract his own inner soul. He knows it's a beautiful thing to need help, and he still works on learning to draw some boundaries in this regard. Georgie can be very vulnerable to getting sucked into other people's realities, like mine, like Ben Scriba's reality. The trees are beginning to bloom again on the Wakefield campus, where students play on their lawn in short-sleeved shirts, no jackets. Georgie engages in activities, classes, dining hall, library. In class, he looks down at his notes, considering what he has scribbled down whilst Ben narrates for Georgie in his imagination. Georgie is Ben's alter ego. The story begins again, have Claudia. Ben fights to let go of Georgie but he cannot. No way in bloody hell. He is stuck still making valiant attempts to rearrange the past. Showtime the screen is black again, having faded to red, it did not blend directly into blue but back to black. The living, unusual sound of the mysterious telephone still haunts us, even me, it rings and rings again and again, blue movie or not, some situation on the screen fades in, we notice and take note, longing for better bliss, we long for more, for Georgie to become better, to live, to be well. I am hoping to realize that I need him, I always need him, for better or worse, either way, I hope he is okay, however, the interior setting where I am situated is on loop, this nearly palpable, possible, and probable nasty cracked in, the house where Georgie's final funeral took place, Georgie remembered such remarkable, daydream delusions of all the people and all the women, all his life, all of his lives, and mine, mostly, everything lies on like the city bus on which Georgie still travels now and then, where all the love and grief eternally entwine. The bus never stops and neither does Georgie's life, which I do not create. Neither Georgie's life nor mine are ever the same. Everything in our immaculate world, our world, and this world encompassed within this universe within all its composite sketches of the entire parallel world here. Only Georgie knows, I am his god, he is mine, and nothing is perfect, so all is perfect. Imperfections are perfect as they are. Here, in this, our place in the dead of the night, Wishing for a better tomorrow alive, a life, alone, he inhabits the nasty cracked and where dim light flickers, light illuminates the cramped living room piled high with filthy clothes and unpleasant smells of stink and Claudia's perfume gone badly, abandoned pizza boxes, crushed beer cans, half-eaten chocolate bars, and the like, he gets the picture now, bearing witness for all the cameras to see, yet he remains unsure about to see, can you tell me why this nightmare continues? We left off in such a good enough place, at least somewhere concrete within the life inside the concrete walls where he wanders. He wonders if I am alive. Can you tell me? Silence now. Not sure if Dr. C is even there, for she saw Georgie and I dashing from her office, 
leaving in the taxi with our pom-pom hats. Best guess, she says so often, that it is my story, I'm hoping things will be all alright again, in the end. Georgie tells me this over and over, is this the end, doc, I am a crack addict, I am still, I am still 30 since day one, when I lost myself so as to struggle through the disaster, this huge mess, another stockpile of the past, I should let go, so I let go, and things take place and form shapes on their own, damn it, I'm in the middle of self-aware, self-induced psychosis, says Georgie, I am still in search of the ringing phone, so I can pick it up for once. Georgie needs to say something, anything. Hello? 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 Is there anyone out there? He crawls on the bland carpet. The mental institutions never have carpet. This is a good sign, we might not be locked up, but fuck the phone. Through my eyes, Georgie sees the troop of wax figures and mimes whom I have seen before. This time, one is a nurse, another is a teacher, Ben, a teacher from Wakefield. She oozes, out of more ashes, the construction worker whom we note, we hope, will fix it all. They surround Georgie, and I am frightened. I notice them too. Georgie sees them here with them, with people, real people, and real hallucinations. Georgie can't stand self-awareness, even though I seem so sick and twisted. I am Ben. They watch me, they watch Georgie. I move, he moves. They copy our movements. Georgie rummages through the pile of clothes, and the waxes mimic me again. I stumble upon an old umbrella. The phone stops ringing. Thank God. I pick up the umbrella and examine it intently while the wax figures copy me. Copy Georgie. Synthesizing, they take their umbrellas and consider the same. Duplicates. Damn. Photocopy machines mass duplicating poor Georgie. And the messier my massive mind makes me. Thunder booms. Lightning crackles. The room glows. Rain begins falling here inside. Deep inside this house. Georgie opens my umbrella and, instantly, he is covered in white powder. The crack the coke, and the cola, pop, the wax figures snap their umbrellas open wide, but none of them are covered in powder, just wax, the rain spits onto the sheath held over my head, the waxen figures stare at Georgie, at my paranoia, and they look at each other, we are as confused as they are, I wet a finger and touch the powder, bringing it up to Georgie's mouth, and I smile, the waxes do the same thing, touching their dry, non-powdered, waxy skin, their dry cold lips, they are not only confused, they also seem rather disappointed. Georgie realizes that the waxes are real, so I must deal with them and all else now, offering my powdered hands as if to share, as if I cared to share, but they back away, and the rain stops. The phone, it rings again. I'm no longer covered in the white powder that Georgie puffed. Pulling himself up, he resumes his searching for the frustrating phone, crawling over the piles of dirty clothes, across the discarded boxes of pizza. The waxes follow me. They follow Georgie, come on Georgie, I am rooting for you, dear friend, the phone rings, it still rings, and I've got to do something about it, so far, there is no communication, and I am beginning to miss, moreover need, Georgie, I can't help but leave the fucking phone, Georgie picks up one of the crushed and crumpled pizza boxes, I shake it, something slides around inside, but the copycat waxes do not find a thing, Georgie opened mine, and revealed to him at last is a crumpled, crushed pack of cigarettes, pulling one from the pack, I insert sickly in mouth, and Georgie inhales deeply, indeed, very deep as I do, the phone rings again, my past is calling Georgie's past, my memories and more of Georgie's traumatic and triumphant memories, no wonder I wonder why Wakefield is where Georgie wakes up, I hear Dr. C telling me to talk about Georgie, and my eyes open, an imaginary substance surrounds us, 
filling all space beyond the sphere of the moon and making up all the stars and planets ethereal. Georgie stares out the window of his cross-country train, observing the green grass and blue mountains where music heightens the spirit of loneliness of Georgie's time alone. With obscure and scattered thoughts, he bobs his head rhythmically with the music, holding a pad of paper and a Montblanc pen. He is not writing anything down, so I do. He wears a collared shirt and tie, his wedding ring wrapped around his finger. We fade in, journeying through the immaculate uterus. The beating of Georgie's mother's heart becomes louder and louder, thumping to the music. Then the bass line kicks in, and we move up through the lit pathway towards the womb. There is the little foot of Georgie's fetus, which will run the root of the metaphor, my obsession in life. Overlapping Rose's heartbeat is the pitter-patter heartbeat of Georgie the fetus. More of him is revealed, there is movement, flashing with pieces of my face, faster and faster, the puzzle connecting. One might otherwise wonder who this is. Georgie wears his timeless, collarless white button-down shirt. Bubbling, burning, churning, and gaseous sounds come from inside, inside Rose. The occasional distant sounds of Rose, her murmur and the noises of the hospital, are all going out there somewhere. This is not a psychiatric hospital but a birthplace. PA calls and announcements alert staff. Waxes come to life as the team of real people employed to give birth to this guy named Georgie. He is, I am years ahead his superior. Loneliness brings Georgie to recall his reminiscence of the world encompassed within the universe and the whole incredible phenomenon of this and that. Barbaric yells, Tarzan, gargoyles, devils, Japanese samurai warriors with shields and swords, sketches of an evil fairy, and a fierce dragon dissolving into the still-living Komodo dragon, the largest living lizard in the world. It is as real as the drawn footage of Georgie animates over his drawn map of the Indonesian island of Komodo. As he said before, it is a strange mentality, but we are still around, and it got us to where we are now, so it all can't be that bad. The fetus maneuvers in preparation to ejaculate from Rose, but Georgie's umbilical cord wraps around his neck. Next, near nothing else, near what could have been such a start of the sketches, his mother drug-induced on conception day, or the entanglement, perhaps all of it, maybe, it has to do with me, you, Ben, the umbilical cord, it's wrapped around the neck, in medical talk, the head doc arranges for the pumping of both lungs as standard protocol, Georgie remains calm, unlike me, I worry, two more doctors are called in by PA, Doctors Hayes and Peterson, department and check co-heads, it is a boy, and how wonderful, stillborn prematurely, but he turns out okay, just as he promised on the playground. On that bright and beautiful day, Georgie the five-year-old former freak plays with his real-life action figures in the sandbox that Pops built in the backyard. He wears the same colorless shirt and black boots, totally timeless. He sings his variation of the Michael Finnegan nursery rhyme, in his way alone. There was a little man named Michael Finnegan who first grew fat and became thin again. Poor little Michael Finnegan, begin again. There was a young man named Michael Finnegan who lost his friend and Ben came back again. Poor old Michael Finnegan, begin again. Everything cuts to black. His ticks, his life, his world. I open the curtains and begin the show. Ben always comes to the rescue. Fucking always me. Poetically poetic and blasphemy, but I'd better keep my cool this time. Flipping sketchbook pages. I plan a plan to do it right, to do it better, help me, Dr. C it's too much Georgie, and I can't see, Dr. C, Dr. C, please, press the pause button, Dr. C claps twice, and I am removed from the poetic dance of a trance, hypnotism is not for kids, what happened, I ask her, you're okay, I'm here, you are here, Dr. Abrams has reassigned me to you, 
You had left off in a whole other period and believed you had been healed. You've been here now for well over a quarter century. Insanity is the mad world where we, the mad, are sane. How old am I? 40. Like Claudia, I'd like to listen more. Ben, take a deep breath. Breathe in, breathe out. I can't, doc, laugh. She says, laughing. Give it a shot because I give a shite. Nobody else has. Claudia is real. Ben, even if only in your vivid imagination, you mean Georgie's wild head? No, I believe you. Ben, I believe in you. Let go. Ben, just let go. Just like Georgie told you over and over, and you told me you are fine. You are doing well. She pushes slightly. You're going to make it out of here. Ben, you are going to walk and be completely free. It's the story. It needs you. Do you feel me? I feel her hand on my lap, but nothing of any sexual nature occurs in my head. Just Dr. C's words. Forget it and move forward. It took a very long time for your mind to create your so-so-so-called false sense of so-called reality. Throw it all away. Start fresh. Start over. You can do it. Let go. Begin again. Ben. I. I. Doc. Eye to eye. The session is over. Move forward. Escort it out. Dr. C grabs me, and I can't stop the story unfolding in my mind, sequentially in real time. It's too slow to keep up with. Go deeper, Ben, deep, way deep, Ben, go way the fucking way deep, Ben, I've never heard Dr. C speak in swear before, let the spirits swarm, let loose, grab hold, take me for the ride, the real ride, no ropes, way deep inside, Ben, free Ben, Claudia is the impetus, remember, she told you, Ben, she asked you to write the story that they want, remember, she is real Ben, 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 the officials try to pull me away, Demanding that Dr. C stay put. Don't listen to them. Ben, I'll be here. I need to hear. I need to hear you. Smoke break. Parenthetic pet peeve. When someone gives a damn, like Margaret the National Crisis Lion Clark from the grocery store. She cared too much. Like she was holier than thou. That's different. I let go and let it rip. She, who, Dr. C, she believes in me. Like Sister Clara, the soothing psychic from the shop. This is my dumb psyche life not medical advice, and I'm not taking any either, I'll stick around and dig deep as long as I can and I will, and I will never stop, fuck, since I believe in all this stuff, even reincarnation, it's real because I believe it, all of it, everything, I just keep writing, Dr. C, Claudia, and Kelly, entanglements, all these fragmented folk, they see something in me, and I don't give a good goddamn what others think of it or me or anything, I sit back and pray for them, Wishing they could live as much of a fucked up, fascinating life as mine. I just offer pieces of it in spitting, pitter-patter, manageable pieces. That's what I do. That's what I'm here for. The sensation, sensational sex and blue movies, the characters and chaos, onslaughts of sketches, prototypes of expanding pounding putty and pus, some sex and violence, I'm built for it. A part of the whole and parts of it, complete, asshole tears, fears, and phobias. I tell the security guard who removes my smoke. The fire in my hospital corner blazes. I know it's only in my mind that I self-stigmatize, discriminate, and desecrate. I am who I am. Nobody can stop me. This is it. It's not all there is, but it's as much as I have time for. I pass out from the distress, and Georgie falls into deep sleep where my dreams are dreamless. The emptiness of the god source is all that Georgie hears. The silence of my heart bleeding to get out if only I had the time. Manuscripts in the trash buried in the basement. Stolen. He still has it locked up. Here and there. In his head. I know it. Trying to keep up with it as it runs on and on. My hands can't scribble it all. So its fragments appear as they do. 
a dream. Now, George's dreams of pickles take him somewhere else. How he loved dreams, real or not. For the last three days, there has not been one ray of sunlight. The sky is grey, flat, and still. The rain is falling without a pause, in absolute silence. I whistle and watch the ticking clock. I tick, waiting for tomorrow to tack, and the day after. When will I remember today? Georgie becomes genuinely excited and impressive when he works himself ill. He has not been to bed in three or four weeks in succession, the bitterest fight he's had to wage. He is upset by his illness, consumed by his anger at having to make an idol of Claudia, an ideal that I love and hate. Georgie feels sick and dizzy in love again but should recover, having burned all of my books in the maddening belief that he could refrain from writing things of that same depressing nature. So far, there is no evidence otherwise. During these moments, now on the train to New England, Georgie's mind becomes lyrical. Every transformation is a new lunatune, an overt overture to another great new piece of writing, ever and forever striving to gain some sort of solid shape within its hints of dints and tinseltoe, all but blurred in his brain but brilliant, like a Shakespeare sonnet of sorts. Now Georgie glances upon what has happened and again, it happened again, hiding underneath his meticulously cluttered desk, covered in piles of books, sits the frozen, mysterious mosaic-eyed man in an old tattered brown and yellow plaid suit. His thick salt and pepper hair is shaggy and must, his face is unshaven, and his demeanor is disheveled. Georgie wants us to woman out for dinner on the condition that she tell him no, just to understand what rejection felt like. His appeal is so infectious that the government has created special laboratories to introduce vaccines to prevent the next worldwide plague. His mystery will unfold itself to the lucky few. He's got one hell of an epic masterpiece that he wrote in one sitting. He's still sitting with his thinking cap in contemplation. He might have hit severe schizophrenia, which caused him to make up his entire life in his head. But in reality, only I, Ben, with my now salt and pepper perm, am living in this mental hospital called Empty Shasta, where Claudia still seems to work and work out. So still, he still thinks of it. The whole world, at least our world, is encompassed within the universe. This universe that we can only imagine as seemingly having no end, a strange mentality, smoke break, fuck it, just notes, diatribary notes of me, the madman, with no more poetic prose and deep structure, I'm disgusted, I pick my fucking nose, snorting out the snot, so fuck me for being mad, I am sorry, I am sorry once again for attempting some goddamn honesty, I am done and wasted, without any real care or compassion, I'll see if any compassion, instead of ridicule, comes out as I wrote and as I write, shite, walk throughout town, getting to know Claudia my medication for the Tourette's was discontinued for a week because things had been going so well for me, then, out of the wild jungle, rejoining me in full costume, the horn-headed monkey, this time, it was going to try and kill me, the son of a bitch, I couldn't rid the forbidden entities of my life, major downfalls, I took a leap of bad faith, down to that seemingly inescapable, hellish wonderland, I was depressed, or thick, dark, gross, static, in a stoic state of depression. It was like a god had given up on me. But why? It was like a god was involved in some angelic accident and was killed or something. My doctor on campus immediately hit me up with a heavy dosage of an antidepressant. It would take time to kick into my system. The infinite clock was my best friend sometimes, yet, other days, it was my worst enemy. Claudia offered to help me out but she must have thought I had already saved myself. And now, mankind in its entirety, last day of school, and she believed my noodle had this capacity to protect. Couldn't she see what was happening? Conversations on assurance, and traces, 
Some parasites of a new species, microscopic beings, had made their appearance, taking up their abode in human bodies, but these animalcules must have been spirits endowed with understanding and will, the people affected by them instantly became raving mad, but never, never was I more convinced that I was in possession of the truth, never had I a greater belief in the infallibility of my judgments about anything, whole villages and towns and cities were infected and lost their reason, people all lived in dread, and nobody understood one another, each thought that I alone possessed the truth that could discern good and evil, I read that, every day, people were killing one another under the influence of senseless anger, graduation party it's some proof of my sincerity towards you that I write when I am prepared by drinking to speak truth, I'm living today and yesterday, I was in a complete fascination all day, I feel myself at your mercy, but I'm sorry, I, at the party, I only had a little to drink, you ticked me off, and I was rude to you, and you went on provoking, and I couldn't stop myself, you looked so beautiful, it made me glad to make you cry, then I left you, had more drinks, I vowed I would never see you again, but I can't keep that promise, I was spinning, what was I doing, please don't be angry with me, how could I help it, how can I, you cruel, quite evil girl, now that was just like you, to poor poo marks at the party, I can see you now and hear you, if you wanted to dance with me, puber, you wicked, witching, malicious, merciless, mischief-loving, torturing, martyring, unspeakable nymph, when you knew he would give a year of his life to touch you, as me, what a world this is, what a sad world, I don't know what it doesn't deserve or what I can do, p.s. my mysterious girl, I forgot one little bit of this letter, but I can't forget it all, my heart is yours, my thoughts, myself, all but my memory, that is mine, now it's cool, as you say, to give me all that pain and then tell me, never mind, I won't do it again, how could you, I've enclosed a box filled with a hundred kisses, tell me if they come safe or if any are lost in any way, I know to myself in my room one night don't trust anyone, certainly not the whole boredom of the idea, the girl could drive me crazy, one who understands me, respects me, who wants to know the little 1% cause she already knows the worst 99%, will you marry me with no recited lines, false pressures, and honesty without bribery, wishes without promises, and sorrow and madness beyond control, will you marry the real youth, you can be my princess, holding me down to reality, shite, over to you you know I've been a nutcase for the, all my life, I'm willing to embarrass myself one more time, the final insult, I mean, I grew up as an outcast, basically, and lost my faith in everyone, my self-pity, like my incarnation, was busted, a wrong incarnate, the faulty inborn who came here just to screw things up, till I met you, but I've grown up, and down, with this Tourette disorder, still, I find it not a disorder, but a sense of order, I reject time, people, myself, and of all these subtle physical symptoms that are beyond my controlling, but, I feel I can only tell you, what goes on, what goes on inside, inside, what I'm, what I'm, I've been so frightened, so terribly, so terribly frightened of, Claudia, sits me, on a bench, places her hand on his lap, and Georgie cries, the city waxes and wanes as it becomes darker and darker in the park, until the evening shadows of the two are the only appearance left, as traces, Georgie is crying as to a lost mother, expressing his most private, most inner thoughts, Georgie feels so very vulnerable at this time, but as he tells his story, through his childish tone of speech, he knows or feels that it all must come out, to Claudia, Georgie is beating the horn-headed monkey that took him over by letting the world know, even if it's only two ears at a time, oh god, Claudia, oh my god, how did I do it, Claudia, oh, 
When I see people, I see people bleeding from the nose, flaming fire from their heads. I see signs and billboards with flashing lights when there are none. My attention disappears, then comes back, then goes. It takes me 10 minutes to read one page from my philosophy book. I have to read a sentence, then read it over and say it in my head until it sounds just right. I hear a word that sounds interesting to me, and it stays in my head, sometimes for years. My body becomes numb. I feel all confused, my feelings, emotions, my body, brain, mind, and muscles. My inner muscles are in so much pain for all that I've held in, then I release, privately. Nobody ever knew, phobias, of being around the very people I loved, daydreamed illusions, panic attacks, no one ever knew, feeling like I was going to die, I'd, I wouldn't know what's going on at first, I'd blame it on the room temperature or the food I ate or, my medication, nothing. TV shows made my cry, I'd be sensitive to love scenes, people were dying, my father, oh my god, I loved him so much, mom and pops tried to have me 8 years before and had trouble, my mother had trouble getting pregnant, and they wanted a son, and then pops dies, and, old grade school friends now are at 2, or married, or have AIDS, or HIV, or abortions, or sold themselves too far, and all I do is, I'd throw up, I'd make myself throw up 3 times a day, just because I always felt nervous, not like an anorexic or bulimic or whatever you call that. I thought it was the food I ate or too much caffeine. That's why I'd miss class, drop a meeting, or run out sometimes. Senseless anxiety in the form of perilous attacks. I've never been regulated, caffeine for keeping up, PN pills to bring me down, self-medicating with vitamins. There were never any drugs. There were never any drugs. Claudia thought I was going crazy, gambling occasionally, all for happiness. That's why I'm always taking the taxi off campus, and the name, bad, like a kiss in Italian, or a Georgie, a bachelor, I always wanted to be a hotshot, I've never been content, hallucinations, no short term memory, paying for psychic readings for reassurance, tripping out, freaking out, nobody knows, and I'm not alone, and you look like, I can see this, but it's not real, it's just me, it's the simp. I have this little horn-headed monkey who's like a devil, and I never told anyone this. He's the Tourette's. I don't know whether to laugh or cry. Situations, events, circumstances, the weather, rain, sunshine. It all made me so fucked up. I'm sorry, Claudia. Oh, I'm so sorry. The twitching, skipping, hopping, kicking, dancing, and grimacing. I'm so fucking, my doctor. I don't even tell my doctor this stuff. I think of suicide, knowing I won't do it. But I think, what if I just charged across the street and had some cabbie nail me in the face, so utterly violent, and maybe, it's like I'm in this alternate reality that I'm stuck in, but both everyone else isn't mine, and I can't separate them, there's never been any cocaine, no crystal meth, it was just an excuse, a poor attempt at a solution for why I feel so, I can't, I, going back to the bluff years later it's like waking up to yourself one day, realizing that you're totally lost, and trying to regain the simplicity and reality you once knew, and the daydreams, just momentary glimpses into my insides, what was really inside me, I thought I was alone, and thoughts that had once crossed my mind, sort of a reminder of my long term memory, Claudia and I are not going to get married or nothing until we both feel it'll work and until we can vow in front of God that we'll always remain together until, we turn cold one day, we even interconnected our dreams once, I was in hers, she in mine, the same dream, kind of cool stuff, I'm volunteering my time at Beth Israel Hospital on Union Square in New York City,
trying to offer up what I can for young kids who already have two strikes on their once in a lifetime chance at but, the pity I can see now, geez, I suppose everyone's got some misdemeanor that they are forced to live with, my whole life, I don't think it's evolutionary but circular in nature, and sometimes I just have to sit back and brood over things, I've been completely rehabilitated, even the cigarettes, feeling good, I guess there's a time for everything, even growing up, if it's already too late, you win a little, you lose a little, we were caught that night, sleeping together, yeah, I never received the school seal prize at graduation, but I guess there are things happier than love, I beat myself up during graduation, wondering if the fiasco was worth it, that's part of my story, the part I told you, and with these scattered thoughts, I thank you for having me here today, maybe I'll come back and tell you my story about my life in the workforce, I hope that perhaps I've enlightened some of you as you're stuck here in seclusion, but you'll all get out and hopefully see a more delicately balanced lifestyle among you and the people around you, I've donated a copy of my novel to the Reading Room for you all and a scholarship to the rowdiest incoming student, Ben is back, the crack addict who has tried to quit to no avail, one dark stormy night, he awakens in his drug-induced state to find a bunch of zombies in his room. The zombies begin to open their umbrellas as a shield against the rain. They will be going outside soon. The zombies include a movie director, a homeless man, a jogger, and others. They stare menacingly at him as he cows in his cracked-out state, pipe in his mouth. He starts to drink some wine, and the zombies mimic him mindlessly. Losing his mind, Ben starts talking to his alter ego, Georgie Gust, who insists that he should quit. They talk about Kelly, his hot homemaker zombie, who looks like she is from the 50s. He claims that she doesn't understand his newfound obsession with Claudia Nesbitt, the vampire. Moments later, the real zombie Kelly appears, bemused. Ben tells a movie director, who appears suddenly to say that there is no one like Claudia. But, Georgie claims there is no one like Kelly, and he better be prepared for her to potentially walk out on him. Ben starts looking for his phone. Subsequently, Ben and all of the zombies turn into snipers in black suits with guns. With the zombies in pursuit, Ben races out into an alley, panting and sweating as he trips over garbage cans. He arrives at the nasty crack house alone. He has the phone and rolls over. A toilet flushes in the background, and we see Georgie come out and pick up the receiver. He says, this is Ben. I'm not here. Leave a message. Georgie is paying his perfect ten neighbor, Claudia Nesbitt to turn him on sexually by coming up with new and twisted ways of torturing him. He lays out all the money into her open hands. She slides all of it down her top, all around her tiny breasts. Her bug bites, as her chest, her breasts become filled with fat, causing them to be heavy and sag like a toilet seat cover, like those titties you see in granny-style porn. When the woman is older than mature but too young to be a MILF, in very palpable, concrete detail, I can easily observe Georgie's behavior as a limousine in a very arresting atmosphere. A dark environment drops him off. I figure out what's going on as it occurs in this tangential sort of story. On a desert highway, the midday sun reflects off the tinted windows of a moving stretch limousine. Its pearl white paint muddies in with the billowing clouds in the sky. Inside the limo, up front, a street map is open. In the front, through the divider, Georgie's driver, Frank, is focused on the long straight road ahead. He sniffs like it's a tick. Frank's passenger, Georgie Gust, is studying a face full of self-help literature. A pair of trendy new shoes lie on the floor. Georgie takes a long breath through his nose, closing the book, which he's finished. Its cover reads 12 steps for stupid people. In the middle of nowhere, 
The limousine pulls up to the iron gates of a palatial mansion where a trio of security guards check Georgie's identity and open the gates to let the limousine through. Gradually, we realize that this is a private nudist colony. Georgie's purpose here is to find a members-only foot fetish club within the gates of this very private resort. He finds the basement ballroom where the club awaits him by asking curious questions, speaking almost in code. Georgie strips down in a co-ed restroom. Back outside, it's hot and dry, this being the middle of summer, we can see that Georgie shuffles along with his head down, his hands covering his genitalia. He enters the basement foot fetish club, Georgie and the others in attendance, about 50 men and women, are lying on the floor, on their backs, weighing for something we're not sure of yet. Everyone's silent. Georgie's broad needs, sensitivity, and passion are shown during this orgy. What Georgie lacks, what he needs, although he isn't aware of it, is his soul's work, his purposeful vacation. He doesn't have a project, hobby, job, or relationship that he can pour caring, creative energy into and, as a result, achieve respect, appreciation, and connectedness to other people. There isn't anything wrong with Georgie's attending orgies, it's just that it's not the cure for what ails him. A loud siren screams at a high pitch, and about a hundred women enter the room and scatter, performing barefoot and shoe smothering for all the club members on the floor. This orgy is a completely safe and free arena where one can be completely naked. It's described in detail, revealing every sight, sound, every sensation, high, low, thrill, doubt, and risk. For example, Georgie inhales the rank smells of vinegar, the smell of sweaty feet, and the odors hell produced him, like a drug. He relaxes, the out-of-body experience, the heaven, the feeling of non-existence, the fulfillment that Georgie gets from the hour-long mass foot trampling seems to cause him a feeling of shame and guilt, yet he feels his best, most natural self. There are touches and moans and yelps, but Georgie seems to be at peace, with no inhibitions, as he lies on the marble floor in the nude. During the coffee hour, the after-party, we alternately find Georgie daring, sympathetic, wacky, and potentially in need of help as he communicates with others participating in the orgy. Georgie is doing the best he can, working hard to make sense of his life. The women there seem to admire his apparent risk-taking, his inappropriate yet charming comments and postures, and his urgent search for something to believe in and fight for. He tries to collect as many phone numbers as he can while there and is quite satisfied, and we admire the daring, passionate intensity that Georgie devotes himself to in the search for the high that comes out of sexual masochism. He requests foot and shoe smothering on his face more than a few times. He worships the bare naked female foot, usually on his hands and knees. There's a part of Georgie that wants to get lost in the orgiastic swirl, similar to being high or like a runner in the zone enjoying the runner's high, but there's also a part of Georgie that is self-conscious about all this. The constantly turning Rubik's Cube have internal connections, disconnections, second thoughts, one feeling being ruined or made irrelevant by another, in Georgie's mind is only suggested. Georgie has been getting off sexually to the human foot, in public especially, because it's always been an easy to satisfy pleasure, but having advanced now and found out where the real right fetish houses are, through the local newspaper ads and knowing the clues to look for within them, Georgie's been growing tired of his foot fetish finding little room to expand on his fantasies with them. He can no longer get off to them, we find, even at this orgy, he has trouble finishing, he needs something even more impure and unsacred, more absorbing, elaborate fantasy material. Georgie is becoming obsessed with achieving constant, never-ending orgasm. It is a relieving distraction from his being unfulfilled. He has such a voracious, 
addictive and obsessive appetite that he can't imagine having anything less than as much total pleasure as he can find. Georgie is on his way home from the foot fetish club, he's wearing shorts, which reveal a pair of badly bruised knees. What happened to your leg Frank, the chauffeur, asks Georgie when he's let into the back seat. He answers, oh, that, I crawled on the floor, it was covered with hard salt crystals. Through the driver's dialogue with Georgie, who asks to sit in the front seat, they pull over and have a cigarette and a heart to heart. We learn that Georgie once had a nanny when he was a boy. She disciplined him in some sick and twisted ways, just because he didn't do his homework or because he forgot to flush the toilet. The abusive nanny hated him for having so much privilege. Georgie is asked about his self-help books. He tells Frank that he studies them in order to do the opposite of what they suggest, making for a more unpredictable life. After a beat, we return to the nanny's abusive nature. It strikes Frank that somebody takes the time to think up all these fucked up ways of torturing someone else, by keeping them in a brightly lit room for days, like in Iraq, so that one loses their sense of time. Somebody sits down to imagine these horrifying ways to do things like that to other people, Nani used to get off to the torture stuff, she must have Georgie tells Frank. Through Frank and Georgie's conversation, we learn that Georgie has had Frank as his driver for about five years, and they've become friendly. In convo, Frank suggests that Georgie should make something of his life. Yet, yeah, I'll make a mess is what I'll do, Georgie scoffs. What is it that you want, Georgie, for real? You already have everything else, and Georgie responds, One orgasm, a peak experience that will last my lifetime. That's what I want, wouldn't you flash back? During orgasm, Georgie momentarily feels non-existent for one moment, which is nice, because he frequently feels unfulfilled. Because Georgie is ravishingly starved for an everlasting orgasm he has a wild rollercoaster ride of a fantasy about what this heaven is like. We witness and feel along with him just what he imagines it will be like. And yes, this fantasy is rather William S. Burroughs-esque. Time passes, more convo. Georgie has a fucked up goal that is unknown to us for most of the story, to enslave a woman into torturing him until he achieves constant orgasm. However, we think he's pursuing a much nobler goal, to marry and have a family. By the way, that woman you fancy, Margaret, is she still employed as a helpline operator asks Frank, but Georgie hasn't been in touch with her, in fact, they've kind of separated as friends for the time being. Georgie explains his jealousy of Margaret's abundant life, her business with work, sense of achievement, and love. Georgie arrives home. Frank says he'll see him later. An older woman, a new neighbor, has just moved in across the street. This is Claudia. She approaches Georgie, and they immediately click. They share a very private pedicure. Georgie feels like being he's really on, getting lucky, these last couple weeks. This is as opposed to his frequent off periods, we learn all about Georgie's perception of what Claudia was thinking and feeling during the pedicure, including subtle and occasional tidbits about what Claudia was actually thinking and feeling that Georgie wasn't aware of. Claudia storms over to Georgie's pad and pounds on the door. She's lost her job, having engaged in romantic relationships with co-workers at a mental health clinic where she worked as a paramedic. The company had transferred her out to law in the first place. She had just separated herself from those particular affairs, from her married man, Greg, and her beloved married woman, Sarah. Still, she declares that she will never stop blaming the two of them. As she drinks wine and slurs her speech, she looks really attractive, to Georgie. She looks perfect in her misery. Just like Georgie, we find a lot to admire and root for in Claudia, who is fucked up. 
She's, in fact, an excellent person, bringing baked cookies and cakes over at Georgie's during her first week as his neighbor. Why do I like to see her in misery? Georgie asks himself. She's been nothing but kind to me for the last week, but I'm somehow attracted to her like that. This sort of complicatedness, this trying to work productively with parts of oneself that one finds challenging to reconcile, makes us care about Georgie. We start to witness Claudia going back and forth between being wildly manipulative or abusive and regretful and kind, but we don't realize until much later in the book that Georgie is actually paying her to be this way. He's not as surprised by her behavior as we are because he's just playing a game. Claudia says she would pay anyone anything if only she could have physical revenge on her lovers. Hell, she considers in her drunken state, it could be anyone. I could kill someone, I swear. I just want to fucking make them crawl on the floor with hard salt rocks in the dark. Then I'd feel better about myself. A light bulb switches on in Georgie's head. Georgie tries to console her, and he succeeds. He breaks the ice by sitting with her in his living room and mentions that he'd once heard a hooker say, anything that gets you off, that's the key to all that you want in life. Claudia smiles. The next day, there's a note on Georgie's door telling him to come next door. As he and the tipsy Claudia hang out in the kitchen, flirting, playing with food and silverware, Claudia does him to sit on the stove. He considers it, and he doesn't back down when she says that it might get him off if she was to turn on the flame. He accepts the challenge, with his pants on, he sits on the still hat metal, and his denim jeans ignite. Claudia shrieks, they let the house go up in flames, weighing outside for the firemen and police. Georgie looks intently at Claudia and tells her not to worry, she's devastated. Claudia is in dire straits, she's a very smart, very gifted, very good-hearted person who has had horrible, horrible luck in life. She has been screwed over left and right and is just flat out desperate to find a way to keep going. This girl needs a break like no one's ever needed one before. Georgie has the best orgasm he's ever had while remembering the fire and his burnt ass. His orgasm lasts an hour after the initial gush. Gross. Georgie takes note. He keeps on ejaculating for an hour. The book comes to various points where we wonder, wait a minute, is that for real, or is it just Georgie's fantasies? Now they are living together. The only alternative for Claudia at this point. Her surprising abuse comes mostly in the form of psychological mind fucking. We interplay with the backstory of Georgie's tedious discovery of how to relate with other people in a normal way. She seduces him till he's ready to burst. She invites him into some room, and suddenly, he finds himself alone and locked in a very disturbing place. She invites his mother along to some shocking affair. She makes him watch as she causes some dear friend or former lover of his pain or confusion. She hypnotizes him and leaves him naked in his father's church. She hires other girls to flirt with him and then flies into rages at him. She pretends he's hurt her terribly, crying and wailing and faking suicide, then reveals she wasn't actually upset at all. Claudia, trying to play a game that Georgie might like, ends up losing her home and possessions. We feel horrible for her over this. At this point, though, we are left in the dark as to what the behind-the-scenes agreement is between these two. When she tortures him, He's devastated and baffled, he keeps the fact that he hired her to do this in his unconscious. Later, when he jerks off to the memory of the torture, he should be guilt-ridden like Macbeth, saying, Why am I doing this? This is horrible Claudia is still seeing the same woman and is still doing the whole helpline volunteering job. She just signed her first book deal and is currently arguing about the cover design. She says it's a coming-of-age story about a girl, like herself, who overcomes her Tourette's and schizophrenia. This girl is saved by a sugar daddy who lives next door to her and who provides her with emotional and economic support. 
They decide to be friends again. The friends agree. It sucks to hold a grudge, doesn't it? But Margaret sees a mischievous look in George's eyes. There is something he is not telling her. She asks him, what have you got going on up there in your head, Mr. Georgie? I better keep a look out on you and your new girlfriend, girlfriend. Congratulations meanwhile, it becomes apparent that Claudia has just burnt cigarettes on Georgie's a paid assignment, and he is now masturbating, remembering the prior action of actually getting the injuries. Through a series of torture episodes, Claudia tells him all the worst that she sees in him, mixing them up with the beautiful things about him, fucking with his mind. Claudia is also very torn about what she's doing. Sometimes she likes torturing him, sometimes she hates it, sometimes she's really fucking with his mind, and sometimes she's desperately trying to break through the facade. She starts to fall in love with him when she's able to see potential in Georgie, potential that he like me can't see. Again, Georgie climaxes once he's gotten back home. Claudia starts romancing her ex-boyfriend and ex-girlfriend from her previous job again, and she displays romantic affections with them outside Georgie's bedroom window. Georgie gets off to these scenarios, the disappearing act, immediately after a moment of near-ecstatic connection between Georgie and Claudia, when Georgie thinks everything might be right. His entire life turned upside down and saved by the love of a woman like in the movies, she ignores him for a month. Later, on one of Georgie's walks to get coffee and smokes, he sees Claudia, who whispers that she'll call him later. Georgie tries her on her cell. She is out shopping for lipstick and nail polish, but she neglects him for two weeks. Beyond their relationship, Claudia has other things that occupy her time and mind, and so should he, but his days are spent much less constructively than hers. She gets paid. Now, both Georgie and Claudia are having problems with their personal goals. Georgie has a therapist, an objective viewpoint, whom he misleads all the time. He lies to her to the point of creating an epic, ongoing story that's entirely fictional. She's utterly misled about what is really going on. It turns out that she's even more perverse than Georgie and has been pushing Georgie toward worse and worse decisions. Claudia's dignity is deteriorating, and she resorts to the bottle again. Georgie starts actually having sex with her for the first time. They begin having regular intercourse, but she demands that he use protection, and since he won't, the penalties worsen. Now, she, as a paramedic, initiates some tender, loving sex. He wants torture, but she keeps pushing it back to love. Then, once he's fallen under her spell, she buries him alive. She waits just long enough for him to die for a couple seconds. This could play out in real time, with him gradually dying over the course of several suspenseful pages, then revives him. She's genuinely horrified by what she's done and really does want loving sects now to ease her guilt. But he's so turned on by having been nearly killed by her that he's torn between having genuine feelings for her and having a masochistic orgasm. Margaret gets a frantic call about the suffering that Georgie is in because of his treatment by Claudia. She storms over to Georgie's place, but everything seems as normal. They share a dinner together, and Margaret and her girlfriend attend a play with Georgie and Claudia about two women and a man who live through a torturing, sensual obsession. This seems to reflect, in a way, Georgie and Claudia's situation. Then, Claudia invites Georgie, Margaret, and a male friend of Margaret's out to some cabin that is owned by Georgie's parents. It is located in the woods by Mountain Lake. Whilst they are away from the world in this secluded place, Georgie discovers that someone has slipped a massive dose of LSD. The three others seem to play out some incredibly fucked up relations. Later, we will learn that Claudia directed these two to play roles over the weekend in order to screw with Georgie's head. 
Claudia and Georgia are hospitalized for mental and physical abuse, they are close to death. The doctor's busy saving Georgia over the next year as Georgie reflects on his passion for a woman he seemed to love beyond his dignity. Mount Shasta State Psychiatric Center to admitting psychiatrist, Mount Shasta State Psychiatric Center, California re, Claudia Nesbitt Miss Claudia Nesbitt is a 17-year-old woman who has been depressed since September. She made a suicide attempt on the 15th of September, intending to kill herself with pills. She has been in psychotherapy and has taken Prozac for weeks without sufficient effect. She remains suicidal, and her lack of appetite and loss of weight also concern her parents. Please admit her to the adolescent unit. Dr. Abrams, medical doctor, psychiatrist, the end.